0: Welcome to the Foundations Church podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. We're in a series called "Poke the Bear." if you weren't here last week, uh, we talked about the Bible and the LGBTQ community. Um, And the week before that, week two, we talked about watermelon truth and the purpose and the importance of God's word in our lives as followers of Christ. And a lot of people are like, Justin, why are you talking about this, right? Like, why are you preaching about this? And it's, this is why. Let me give you the why behind it before we get into this. Is it for shock culture? Absolutely not. I do enough shocking things on Sunday morning. I don't need help with that. Um, Is it to be controversial? Absolutely not. That's not it. Here's why. Because everybody's talking about these issues except the church. And we've got to know what the Bible says about these issues. That's it. And so why would I would not be a good pastor and a good shepherd if I was not speaking on things that you are dealing with on, not just every once in a while, but on a daily occurrence, a weekly occurrence in the culture that we are in. So if you missed week two, Watermelon Truth, you need to go back and watch it, right? And I'm going to give you a snippet from that sermon that simply is about this. My life is supposed to submit to his word, not his word submit to my life. As a follower of Christ, we got to understand this. My life is called to submit to his word, not his word, submit to my life. And there's a lot of scriptures that I'm not going to get into on that. One is one of my favorites, 2 Timothy 3, 13 through 17. You guys can put it up on the screen if you want. I don't care. I'm going to keep moving. Because here's what I will tell you. What is happening is we don't want to apply all scripture. We don't want to apply all the Bible to our lives. We only want to apply the Bible to the parts we like that are convenient, that are easy. And, and here's what it reminds me of it reminds me of when I used to go to the cafeteria on Sunday afternoons with my parents and grandparents, right? And if you were rich, you went to Lubies, You got that Luann platter. Like, don't, don't say you didn't. Um, that's what you got. But poor people went to Furs. How many of you went to Furs growing up? Come, you are my people. You're my people first forever, right? And when I would go to FERS as a child, the thing that I liked about the cafeteria is I got to pick what I wanted to eat. So my tray was full of jello, full of pudding, full of pie, roast beef, and mashed potatoes and gravy. And that's it. And because I was with my grandparents, they didn't care, right? I didn't have any salad, any vegetable. And I would look at my parents and my grandparents, and I was like, why are you eating that junk? Like, that's all filler. And here's what I did. I got what looked good to me instead of what was actually good for me. And we're doing the same thing when it comes to being followers of Christ and when it comes to his word. We want to only apply what looks good to us instead of what actually is good for us. And the Bible says this in James chapter 1, verse 22, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you are only fooling yourself. So here's what I want you to know. Today, I'm going to be sticking to my notes. If you've ever been to Foundation Church, you're like, wow, really? I'm going to be sticking to my notes a lot more than I usually do. Um, and, And here's why. Because today's topic on abortion is one where there's a ton of emotions, there's a ton of politics, and there's a ton of thoughts. And this is such a huge topic recently within our society and culture that we got to address it and we've got to understand what does the Bible say about this. Not how I feel about it, not how I was raised about it, or hear me, hear me, because this is the big one, or what my political party says about it. So, here's, here's, we did this last week, killed some of you guys, but here's what I'm going to ask you guys to do just for this week. I love our church. I love that you amen. I love that you clap. I love that you yell, let the big dog eat. I love that you do Ric Flair woos while I'm preaching because it helps me to preach better. I'm just going to be honest. When I know it's hitting, it gets me going. It gets the crowd. I mean, it just is, it feeds. It's awesome. There's energy to there, right? And the the Spirit's moving. I love that. But today, today, today I'm going to ask that you not amen. I'm going to ask that you not clap. Some of you are going to be like, mmm. (laughs) Right? I'm going to ask that we not do Ric Flair yells, that we don't say, let the big dog eat today. And here's why, because I don't want somebody to be, to feel singled out. I, I want this to be a message that is conveyed with love and truth, right? That it's not just truth on its own that's harsh, but that there's love that is at the forefront of this message. So next week, when you come back, you need to make up for two weeks. Yes. So, shoo, I'm going to push the mute button for just a second. This week, um, man. To be honest, this week uh, has been a heavy, heavy week for me. And, and the reason is is because I've been reading article after article about abortion, about pregnancies, about what the Bible says. About medical sides of it, scientific sides of it, and this this week literally, I would come out of my office in cases like, "Why are you frowning?" And I'm like, "My brain hurts, my head hurts, and my heart's broken for what is happening and what's going on." And and before we get going on the topic, I really feel like it actually is very applicable to the topic of abortion, I want us to know something that's gonna be our base for this whole sermon today, that we're gonna keep coming back to and keep coming back to, and it's the truth, and it's this, there is no sin, past, present, or future, that has more power than the cross of Jesus Christ. Hear me, there is no sin, past, present, or future, that has more power than the cross of Jesus Christ when we get into topics like this if we're not careful it can take on a feel like an us versus them or a them versus us right it almost feels like the mid-high cafeteria and mid-high when you went into the cafeteria there were unspoken sections nobody like assigned signs there like all the cool kids you heard the cool kids table it's real cool kids section nerdy section the, the band kids section, the drama and musical section, the drug addict section, the weird kids section. In mid-high, you know where I was. It was not the cool kids. It was the weird kids, right? Like, there was a glow-up that happened, but that's not this message. So, and here, here it is. There was very much a we and us versus them mentality. And here's what I want us to know today, that this message is to bring truth and love, not judgment and separation. As I read a stat this week, it said that one in four women have had an abortion. And it's always, when we talk about this, we always talk about the women who've had abortions, but not the men who pushed them there. So hear me, if you've had an abortion, let me take you back to the beginning point of this message. There is nothing you can do that's more powerful than the cross of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 through 5 says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, and you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. All of us were there. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature... We were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Jesus from the dead. And it's only by God's grace that you have been saved. Ephesians one seven. he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave us our sins. All of us need to know this, that there is nothing you can do. There's nothing in your past. There's nothing you're currently doing, and there's nothing you can do in your future that's more powerful than the cross of Jesus Christ. It records this all throughout the Bible. Let's just hit the New Testament. Peter and Paul. Peter was one of Jesus's boys, One of his three best friends, right? Who are Jesus' three best friends? Peter, Peter, James, and John, right? There's a reason you know those three because they were were tight. When Jesus is going through his trial and he's being whipped and all these things are happening and the crucifixion is getting ready to happen, Peter's in the courtyard and people are like, I've noticed you, you're one of his disciples. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard of this Jesus, man. He denies him three times. Denies even knowing him. Paul, who used to be known as Saul of Tarsus before there was this conversion and there was this change, he was Saul of Tarsus, and he would go to the churches and these home groups and these small groups meeting and talking about Jesus and the movement of the way, and his job was to snuff out, to stamp out the movement of the way, and he would pull people out of their homes and have them killed and have them stoned to death. He was a murderer, and yet Peter and Paul were both still used to do phenomenal things For God's kingdom, why? Because there's nothing you can do in your past, in your present, in your future that is greater, that is more powerful than the cross of Jesus Christ. Casey and I have a good friend named Kim. We went to Bible college with, and she was in our wedding. Casey was in there. I was in their wedding as well. Her and her husband. And while we were at Bible college, and this is this is back in the day, like '96, right? She talked to us about how when she was in high school, she had an abortion. And the heaviness and the shame and the pain and the hurt that she felt. And what I love about God's grace and what I love about the story of the cross is this. Is that a snapshot is never the full story of your life. And what's amazing is Kim is now a pastor's wife. She's leading women's ministries, she's leading women's conferences, and she is using her story to minister to others. Why? Because shame and pain and regret is never greater than the cross of Jesus Christ. So, as we understand that as our baseline, we're to, going to get into the question of this. So, the question this morning is this Is abortion wrong? Is abortion a sin? And if we're going to answer that question, which we will, we first have to answer another question that is this, when does life begin? So let me answer this question in two different ways. First, we're going to come from the medical and scientific side of it, right? And then we're going to come to the biblical side of it as well. From the medical and scientific side of when does life begin, answering that question's Here's what I want to tell you. You might assume the scientific answer of when does life begin is complicated, but in truth, that's not the case. According to science, not Justin, thank God, according to science, life begins at conception, Considering the follow, consider the following from Dr. Diane Irving, writing from Princeton's International Journal of Sociology and Social Policy. Upon fertilization, parts of human beings have actually been transformed into something very different from what they were before. They have been changed into a single, whole human being. During the process of fertilization, the sperm and the egg cease to exist as such, and a new human being is produced. Dr. Leah Greenfield of Psychology Today states, The life of an organism obviously Begins at conception. The American College of Pediatricians says this. The predominance of human biological research confirms that human life begins at conception or fertilization. At fertilization, the human being emerges as a whole, genetically distinct, individuated, zygotic, living human organism, a member of the species Homo sapiens, needing only the proper environment in order to grow and develop. The difference between the individual in its adult stage and its zygotic stage is one of form, not nature. This statement focuses on the scientific evidence of when an individual human life begins. Indeed, in a recent survey of over 5,577 academic biologists from over 1,000 academic institutions, 96% of them affirmed that life begins at fertilization. The conclusion that human life begins at sperm-egg fusion is uncontested, objective based on the universally accepted scientific method of distinguishing different cell types from each other and on ample scientific evidence thousands of independent peer-reviewed publications moreover it's entirely independent of any specific ethical moral political or religious view of human life or human or of human embryos a neutral examination of the evidence merely establishes the onset of a new human life as at a scientifically well-defined moment of conception, a conclusion that unequivocally indicates that the human embryos from the one cell stage forward are indeed living individuals of the human species. In other words, they are human beings." So according to science, there's a lot of big words that your pastor has, like, you know I didn't write it. (laughs) I'm staying zygotic, right? I had to call my doctor's friends. I'm like, how do you say this? How do you say this? According to science and medicine, life begins at conception. Here's the deal, here's what the Bible says, Psalms 139, verse 13 through 16, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Luke chapter 1 verse 39 through 44 says, A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Elizabeth lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth, and at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Mary's a few weeks pregnant at the max, right? And yet when she arrives at her cousin Elizabeth's house, Elizabeth's child, John the Baptist, leaps inside the womb. Elizabeth says to Mary, God has blessed you and your child is blessed. From the moment of conception... God had a plan for the child in Elizabeth's womb, and we know him as John the Baptist. At the moment of conception, we know this. God had a plan for the child that was in Mary's womb, as we know him as Jesus Christ. And in Psalms 139, it states that God is doing things in the womb, knitting and forming this embryo that we know from a scientific and biblical view is a human Being God is knitting it together to develop this man or this woman into who they're going to be. So, when does life begin? At conception. That's the answer. That's the scientific and biblical answer. So, because of this, here's what I and what we believe as followers of Christ. Number two, scripture teaches us that all humans have value because they bear the image of God. All humans have value. Because they bear the image of God. Genesis 1, verse 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry on the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. James 3, verses 7 through 9 says this, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. Hear me today. You weren't just created You were created, you were knit together in your mother's womb, in the image and the likeness of God, your heavenly father. And that means this, every man and woman here and every person watching, because of that, you have value. You have value. Every human life has value. You're more valuable, hear me on this, than any pet or animal I love my dog Vader, but my kids are more valuable than my dog Vader. Right? You are more valuable than any dog, than any horse, than any cow. We all know we're more valuable than cats, right? Like, we can all address that, right? You have value. Why? Because you aren't an animal. You are created in the image of God. So, since that is what we know, here's what I want to share with you. Since we bear God's image. The shedding of innocent blood, meaning the unjust killing of human beings, is strictly forbidden. Let me give you a reality check, and we're going to camp out at this point for a while. The total number of abortions in the United States alone from 1973 to 2020 was 63.6 million babies. That's just to 2020. For every thousand births, There are 186 abortions that occur. The U.S. abortions in 2020 alone was over 930,000 babies. Abortions that happen per day are 2,548. Abortions that occur per hour is somewhere around the number of 106. There is one abortion that occurs for every 34 seconds. And these stats that I'm sharing with you today include only surgical and medical abortions. This means this. Let me give you a little bit better of a picture of this. This means this. We have aborted more children in the United States than the population of Italy. We've we've aborted more children in the United States than doubling the population of all of Australia. And the Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19 there are six things the Lord hates. No seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in a family. If we've established, which we have, that life begins at conception, then abortion is the killing of the most innocent, And today I'm not talking about abortions that are happening because of the mother's life is in danger or because of rape because statistically speaking, according to the CDC, those occurrences account for less than 2% of all abortions. The majority of abortions that are happening in the United States is out of convenience or I should say inconvenience. They weren't planning on it, that baby's getting in the way or they didn't wanna be a single mom. Mom and they shouldn't be a single mom. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 22, Jesus says one of his strongest statements ever made. He said this, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. A bunch of you should be in court, right? Like, you're like, ugh. Jesus is saying this. He's saying simply restraining yourself from murder isn't the goal. You're not just commanded not to murder them. You're not even allowed to hurt the quality of life they enjoy or slander them. We are required to do the opposite, to promote human life, to love your neighbor, to give mercy, to give clothing, to give food and shelter. And if even thinking about potentially taking a life is regarded as sinful, then actually killing a potential life has to be. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, we know this verse is the golden rule. He says this, so in everything, not in some things, but in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Jesus and the golden roll is not about doing what's best for you. That's not the message of Christ or the gospel. But instead, in everything, right, even when it's inconvenient, do to other people. This includes the unborn human child, what you wish they would do for you. And if you were that unborn child, and you know this and I know this, if you were that unborn child, you would want the opportunity to live. Now, our democratic society has rules and regulations of what you and I get to do with our bodies. For instance, you can't get on a motorcycle right after service today, stripped down butt naked, and ride 100 miles per hour on the highway and not get arrested. Some of you are like, I might try that, right? Right? You can't go in the middle of a football game while it's going on and charge the field and you're going to get arrested. Trust me, I did that in high school and it didn't work out well for me. You, You can't just do what you want to. And you saying it's my body and my choice, that's not doing and applying the golden rule to that unborn human who's in your body and who has a life of their own and a body of their own. So the question becomes this. This is, this is the question, if we understand life is born at conception, if we understand all these things, if you're still going to be in favor of abortion, then the question is this, at what stage are you comfortable killing someone? That's it. Well, well Justin, you're making it sound so extreme. No, no, it is extreme. The situation's extreme. At what point are you comfortable killing someone? What stage is it okay to kill someone, and who gets to make this choice? Is it okay at four weeks? Is it okay at two months, at four months, at eight and a half months, five minutes before pregnancy? Let's go back to the facts today. At eight weeks, babies will suck their thumbs. The heart is pumping. Kidneys are clearing fluid. Eight weeks, their liver is making blood cells. They have a fingerprint. They respond to sound and they respond to pain. Catch this. They will recoil from pain when the doctor puts a needle to draw blood up. This means they can feel pain, which means they have a central nervous system and brain function. While the baby is in the womb, there is research mounting that they're actually capable of dreaming. At eight weeks, the human body is less than one thumb length from head to the rump. He would fit at ease in a nutshell, but everything is there. Hands, feet, head, organs, brains, all are in place. His heart has been beating for a month already, and fingerprints can be detected. His heart is beating at two months at 150 to 170 beats a minute. To accept the fact that after fertilization has taken place, a new human being has come into being is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. The answer to uh, what stage are you okay, and is it okay to kill a human is this, and you know this, there isn't a stage that it's okay. There's not a time and a stage that it's okay. Let me, let me flesh this out a little bit, make this a little personal today. I have an older sister. My sister is old. She's three years older than me, so I say you're old. Um, she's probably watching this, that's why I'm saying it. And we've got some pictures here. This is a picture of my sister uh, last year, me and her at the beach, um, like, and here's the deal: if you mess with me or her, we will cut you. Like, if you mess with our families, we will cut you. We look nice, but it's like mafia, right? Style, like Italian mafia will take you out, um, and you'll never know know it at all. Um, here's a picture of us when we were younger. I look like a meth kid, um, but 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 here's what I want to let you know: when about my senior year in high school. Um, our parents, my sister was back home, uh, she's getting ready to get married in that, that, that spring semester, and my parents, December 23rd anniversary, and they go out for their 21st anniversary. And I go, huh. I go, sis, I'm a senior in high school, she's in college. I go, sis, how old are you? She goes, 20. Hmm. Their anniversary's December 23rd. And your birthday is June 8th, January, February, March, April, May. (gasps) And I looked at her and she looked at me and I go, you're an uh uh-oh spaghetti-o kid. Like you are, you are, I snuck one past the gully kid. Like uh, you are the reason I have a 10 o'clock curfew kid, right? Like this is, I got you now. I said a lot of things I can't stay from this stage that I called her. And I was like, oh my mercy. And here's the deal, we never talked about it in our family. Like, when our parents came back, I was just like, I wanted to say it, but I was a senior in high school, I was like, don't say it. A few years ago, me and my dad are on a golf trip, we have never talked about this. Like, a few years ago, like I'm 43 years old. We're, we're driving to a course, I go, so dad, tell me what it was like when you knocked mom up. <laughs> He's like, huh? <laughs> like, like, What? What? I go, well, I mean, like, what'd you do with that? <laughs> like, that had to be a mess. And here's the deal. Like, here's the deal. Let me, let me give you some backdrop to this. My mom's dad was a board member at a very traditional Assemblies of God church. What happened was very public. My, the parents involved, not my parents, the parents involved were not nice, it was embarrassing. It, w- it wasn't convenient. Everybody talked about it, right? Except for apparently me and my sister. Um, and yet, in the middle of that, my parents did what was right instead of what was convenient. And if they don't do what's right... I don't have my sister. And if they don't do what's right, maybe they don't get married. Maybe they don't have a son. But instead of doing what was convenient, they decided to do what was right. And if you would have told my dad 50 years ago that he would have a son preaching on a Sunday morning in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, the city he grew up in, Using his story as a testimony, no way he buys. He's like, I'm selling that every, there's no way my son's going to talk about me knocking up his mom in a message, right, that that, that, that's going to, but can I tell you that's exactly what happened? Because hear me, there's nothing you can do that's more powerful than the cross of Jesus Christ. He's always got purpose for your life. He's always got purpose out of your pain. He's always got purpose when it's inconvenient. So hear me, it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. So, what do we do as a church? What do we do as a body of believers? We've got to do this. We've got to get off the sidelines, stop riding the bench, and get involved and help. And now you can start amending, right? Now you can start clapping. We've got to do that. What if instead of talking about my mom and dad, the church would have come in and said, What do you need? Right? What if instead of shaming teenagers and young adults and couples because they messed up, we, the church, showed up and helped them get back on track and helped them do what was right and encouraged them and helped them? And this is what the church should be doing. Not kicking people when they're down, but helping people get back up. Not talking about people. And the church hasn't done a very good job of this in the past. If we're just real honest, well, Justin, does that mean we're going to start condoning couples to have premarital sex and have sex outside No, no, but man, let's extend our hands instead of point our fingers, right? Let's go be Jesus with skin on. Well, Justin, they should have known better than to do that. You should know better than talking about people, but you still talk about people. Let's go be the church God's called us to be. Well, what does that mean? Romans 12, 21 says this, don't overcome and be conquered by evil. But overcome evil with good. James 4, 17. Remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So what are we called to do as a church? It says in James chapter 1, verse 27: religion that God accepts as pure and without fault is this: caring for orphans or widows who need help. And keeping yourself free from the world's influence. So here it is, Foundations Church. Since the overturning of Roe versus Wade Church, we don't need to just keep praying, but we got to get off our butts and start working and helping. We got to not be about pointing a finger and saying you are wrong, but lending a hand and saying, how can we help? So, what can we do to help? First thing is this consider fostering and adopting. We've got so many families, right? currently fostering or they are in the process or have adopted we've got the Morrisons we've got the Kunkles, we've got the Grays we've got the Wards we've got the Burrs we've got so many other families that I don't know and that I do know but I'm missing but can I tell you some of us you have a calling on your life to foster and adopt some of you I don't think all of us are called to do it but I think a lot of us are And, man, let's be praying about it. And let's not just pray about it. If you feel like, man, this is what I'm called to do, let me tell you this. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. And if you would like more information about how to adopt or foster, there's links right here on our notes that you can click one of these links. And it will take you to the website where you can learn to foster. You can sign up to foster. You can sign up to help those who are fostering. And here's why I say this is important for the church to start doing. There's a note that was written by a kid in Oklahoma in a foster family, and this is what he said. Things I want in my family. I want food and water. Don't hit on me. A house with running water and lights I want. I want love. I want a mom and dad that don't fight. I want no drugs. I don't want them to kill my pets. I want help with school. I want clean clothes. I want to live in a place where there's no lice and no bugs in the house. I want a clean house. I want a clean bed with covers. I want people to not sell my toys and to be treated fair. I want somebody that won't get drunk I'd like to have a TV in the house and let me keep my games. I want school stuff. I want nice shoes, my own comb, soap, a nice house that's safe. I want A.C. and a heater. And I want a coat and toothbrush. And hear me, Foundation Church, we have to be a place where we're answering the call of orphans and bringing in kids that need home and families that we are ministering to the least and the lost. And I'm not saying, hey, everyone can do this. I'm not saying that. But everybody, every one of us can do something. So let me give you something else you can do. If you're not going to foster, let's help those out who are fostering and in the process of adopting. Let's be a church that help those who are fostering and adopting. What's that mean? That means you go and you watch their kids so they can go on a date night. What? Yeah. You go help them throw birthday parties for those foster kids and their own kids. Some of you older parents, <laughs> you got empty nest syndrome. You go out and you mentor them and you say, hey, what challenges are you facing? And maybe we can help you with some wisdom and some understanding And give some mentorship to some of these families that are struggling. You go in and you help throw Christmas parties. And you help lighten the load because all of us can do something. The third thing is this. Instead of shaming and judging single moms, let's lift them up. Let's encourage them. Let's help them. Let's be a resource for them and help share the load that they are carrying. Foundation Church. Man, we are working quickly with a ministry called City Serve. You heard about it, and right now it isn't anything sexy, but they need massive help organizing their warehouse so they can be busy meeting needs. So one of our core values at Foundation Church is save people, serve people. So on August 11th, from six to eight o'clock at in the evening, we as a church are going to go and we're going to start helping organize a warehouse so that we can help them minister to single moms and domestic abuse moms that are on the run. There's a link for you to sign up right on our notes. We're partnering with schools in our community to help out with single moms as well, to start mentoring kids, to assist teachers after school programs, to help meet kids that are in single families, that are in foster care, they're in the process of adoption. Why do we do this? Because we're not going to be overcome by evil, but we're going to conquer evil and we're going to overcome evil by getting on the offensive side of this thing and doing good and being the answer instead of just asking questions. Why are all these things happening? Man, we're going to step up and say, these things are going to start happening. We've got the hope of the world. And if you want to sign up to serve at Jefferson Elementary, we've got a link right there that you can be a mentor to kids. You can sit and have lunch with kids. You can be a teacher's assistant and all kinds of things. It's just a matter of you si- signing up. Church, hear me. i got to stop. It's time for us to step up and shine. Because some of you, you've been praying a whole lifetime for the decision that was made in the Supreme Court to happen. So now what? Now what? I'm looking at an army of people. Foundation Church, you know we have somewhere around 1,200 people that go to church here? Like, like imagine this. <laughs> imagine if I cough in your ear. Imagine this. If we got all on the same page, attempting to do great things... Not so Foundations Church gets credit, but so that right here in our community, it makes Jesus famous. It ministers to the least and the lost. Man, let's be the answer. Let's overcome evil by engaging and doing good things that he has equipped you and I to do. Let's pray. (coughs) Lord, we come before you today. Lord, I know this is, it's a heavy message, a heavy topic. But Lord, I pray that we would understand your truth. (coughs) And that Lord, our lives would submit to your word in all areas. Because in Timothy it says, all scripture is inspired by God. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us what is true and shows us what to do that is right. God I know I know there's a lot of different opinions, there's a lot of different feelings on this topic. But Lord, it's not important about what do I feel about it. It's about what does your word say about it. Your word's clear. And so once again, God, I pray that we would become the potter, the pottery, and you would be the potter, that we would be the clay, and you would mold us, and you would shape us, <clears throat> and you would form us to be more like you. And Lord, I just pray right now that the church, the foundation church would rise up, To be the answer. To be the hand extended. Not to be the finger pointing. To be the hands and feet of Jesus. That we are not going to be overcome by evil, but we're going to overcome evil by doing and engaging in good things. In God things. Not in good ideas, but in God ideas. In the God commandments that you have placed on our heart. So let us be a church of movement. Let us be a church of action. Because your word says in James, faith without actions is nothing. Let us put actions to our convictions and let us be a church that's serving the community and reaching out to the community and doing everything that we can for the least and the lost. Because Lord, the simple truth is there's nothing anyone can do past, present, or future that's greater than the cross of Jesus Christ. So I pray today that you would move and that you would work in us It's in Jesus' wonderful name, I pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed today, if you're here. You say, Justin, I'm here. I'm in this place. And I've never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of my life. We want to give you a chance to change that. If you're you're here and you haven't recommitted your life to the Lord, and you're not at the place you need to be in your relationship with him, we wanna give you a chance to change that. I love what Tara Morrison said in this video. She said, there's no way that God ever gives up on me, so why would I give up on Gabriel? Can I tell you, God's not given up on you. Maybe you've given up on yourself. Maybe you've given up thinking you'll ever get free. You'll ever get clean. You'll get over that addiction. Can I tell you, take that step today because God hasn't given up on you. And if that's you, when I count to three, whether you're here or you're watching at home, online, I'm gonna invite you to raise your hand and we're gonna lead you in a prayer to change your life. One, two, three three. Is there anyone here today? You say, Justin, that's me. You just raise your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anyone else? I got you. Is there anyone else? I got you. There's four. There's five. Is there anyone else? You say, Justin, that's me today. Amen. where I'm at isn't where I need to be. But can I tell you, there's nothing greater than the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Is there anyone else before we go any further in service today? Yeah, I got you. Is there anyone else? If you raise your hand, if you'd please repeat this prayer after me. And mean it from your heart. Jesus, I come before you today and I confess that I've sinned and that I've messed up, but I ask for your forgiveness. God, I turn away from the life that I was living, I repent of it, and I turn to you and I grab hold of the life you have for me. I confess you, Jesus Christ. To be the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm gonna lift you the rest of my days. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we give these six individuals that raise their hand a huge round of applause today? Yeah, 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 yeah. We hope that you enjoyed this message